If you're anything like me, you've experienced that uncomfortable feeling at the end of a restaurant meal. Whether the experience has been good or bad, there's that anxiety about how much to tip. In the end, the evidence suggests we tip within a narrow window regardless of how our experience was. As restaurants begin the process of adjusting to life in a COVID or post-COVID world, some are talking about eliminating the process of tipping. Is that a good thing? My name is Mike Von Masso, and this is a Food Focus mini-pod. We've not done a mini-pod before, but we thought we would give it a try. I'm going to give a short overview of my perspective on the issue, without a guest, to provide some context for the discussion. Tipping has evolved as a social norm. We tip because we are expected to tip. We feel the pressure of expectations. Some restaurants even enforce tipping for large groups. Almost every credit card machine asks you about tipping, including often prompting us for how, as to how much. The argument is that tipping ensures good service, but it doesn't seem to me like that is true. The research suggests that there is little correlation between the quality of service and the size of the tip. As I said earlier, evidence suggests that most of us usually tip within a fairly narrow window, regardless of how good the service is. That suggests there's almost no penalty for poor service and, therefore, no incentive to provide particularly good service due to the tip. On the other hand, there is evidence that expected tip is strongly correlated to the quality of service. That means that some servers, clearly not all, make an evaluation of either the size of the check or the generosity of the diner and adjust service to that expectation. That means the anticipation of a tip is affecting the quality of people's experience in restaurants, regardless of how they actually intend to tip. I've had this exact experience myself. I was eating out with my two teenage sons and decided not to order beer or wine as I would be drinking alone. As soon as the server heard I wouldn't be ordering wine, her demeanor changed. We got less service, fewer visits, and simply a more brusque interaction. The difference was clear because there was a table with two gentlemen who were drinking a lot of wine and she was completely different with them. I asked her some questions about tipping after the meal. I confessed I was a researcher. Her first response was to apologize. I hadn't said anything to her about service. And she then told me she had gotten slammed by a large number of tables. She knew that I knew that she had changed her service. I'm a reasonable tipper and she normally would have guessed that given I am a middle-aged white guy, but she knew the tip was smaller because I wasn't drinking alcohol. I had a less positive experience than others in the room, and that's not good for the owner of the restaurant who has no control over tips and wants me to come back and to recommend the restaurant to others. This is also bad because it's often women and people of color and younger customers who are discriminated against and receive poorer service. There are other reasons that restaurants might try to move away from tipping. My work with my friend Bruce McAdams, you can find a link in the blog posted on the foodfocusguelph.ca website, highlighted a couple of key issues inside the restaurant. Servers benefit from tipping, but cooks, who play an important role in our experience at the restaurant, do not, or at least do so to a lesser degree if there is some sharing. Some restaurants do what is called a tip-out, in which servers pay a share of tips to a pool for back-of-house staff. It usually represents a smaller bump for these staff, although it clearly helps. This means that the tipping norm institutionalizes inequity. 
There is often internal rivalry for tables and high volume shifts that is counterproductive. If you're unhappy with a particular shift or table, you may again provide a lesser service experience in that context. There's also evidence of a phenomenon we called quota servers. These individuals start a shift with a target in mind for tips. Tips represent a much bigger portion of their earnings than does the actual paycheck. And once they have achieved that, they don't work as hard and service quality goes down. This phenomenon was originally documented in taxi drivers in New York City who often stopped working on busy rainy nights when they could have made a lot more money after meeting their revenue targets, but worked long hours on slow summer nights when many people walked. The quota server again hurts the restaurant because owners and managers want every customer to have a good experience and don't have specific targets for revenue after which they just stop serving customers. If there are all of these bad things associated with tipping, why haven't more restaurants changed? To start, change is risky. There's fear that customers will not like giving up the perceived power they have in tipping. There may well be some customers who fight the change, but there is evidence that it can work. I've heard people argue that tipping allows for a male, largely, clientele, to exert power over largely female serving staff. For many of us, it might be a relief not to worry about the tip at the end of the meal and therefore improve our experience. A recent survey at Dalhousie University found that 56% of Canadians would prefer to see the tip included in higher prices. This is up from a 2018 unpublished survey in which we found that 58% opposed including a tip in the price. Many of us are uncomfortable with tipping in the process of deciding how much to tip. To me, it is remarkable that in 2018, 42%, and in 2020, 58% of people are open to a change that is uncertain. It says to me that the market is open to change and may actually welcome it. There's some evidence of that too. We are currently finishing a paper that analyzed the reviews of eight restaurants that decided to move away from tipping. These changes happened pre-COVID. There was no decrease in average review after tipping was ended, and one restaurant actually went up. There was also no change in variability. One might have expected there to be some polarization, but that didn't happen. The content of the reviews did not mention service more after the change either. Tipping is not a customer issue. We will adapt and may actually be happier. Why then does the practice continue? We run into trouble because this is largely a zero-sum game. If the objective is to spread the existing tips over a wider range of staff to provide living wages, then someone is going to have to earn less. That someone is usually servers. If tips are incorporated into the check, servers are likely to earn less because the pot is being split differently. If prices or a service charge are high enough to pay more to back-of-house cooks and to keep the servers whole, there might be pushback from customers, particularly at a time when costs are likely already going up. The pain for servers is compounded by the fact that they will also be taxed on all of that income rather than just on the portion that they declare, which clearly varies from person to person. When I've written or spoken on ending tipping, the pushback is hardest from servers, and that's understandable. My argument against tipping isn't about being critical of servers, but about thinking of customers and of providing an equitable wage for the back-of-house staff who are paid chronically low wages. Restaurants that move to no tipping often have trouble keeping and attracting front-of-house staff. 
Union Square Hospitality in New York began a process of going to no tipping a couple of years ago and lost 30 to 40% of their front of house staff. As restaurants reopen and work to rehire their staff, this might be more difficult. Union Square recently backed off their no tipping commitment and have allowed it to begin again. Although we have seen some restaurants, both in the US and Canada, that have said that as they reopen and, and get going again after COVID, they are moving to a no tipping model. We've done some work with restaurants that moved away from tipping and the staff who stay like it a lot. They're happy to work every shift and not worry about how much they will earn. They know exactly what they are going to make based on how much they work. They have a verifiable income from mortgages or other loans. The issue is not also not straightforward from a restaurateur's cost perspective. If they eliminate tips and pay all of the increased revenue and wages, their costs go up due to payroll taxes. In an industry with tight margins that is coming out of a catastrophic shutdown, this may well be difficult to achieve. The move away from tipping will likely come at some point. It remains to be seen if the momentum we are seeing now is sustained or if the current economic climate makes managers risk averse or the costs prohibitive. Regardless, it will be interesting to see how it evolves. Tipping will remain for now, and we will continue to see a lot of discussions of its merits and shortcomings. Stay tuned. As we wrap up another episode, I want to take a moment to thank Max Graham. We get to have the interesting discussions, and he does the hard work to make us sound good. I also want to thank Zach Von Massow for the original music that we use in the podcast. Check out foodfocusguelph.ca. We have a blog that is updated regularly and our Food Focus trend report as well. You can contact us through the website or at foodfocus at uoguelph.ca if you have any questions or suggestions. We appreciate our audience and your recommendation. It helps us grow. If you are so inclined, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews move us up the ladder and help others find us. That's it for now. Thanks again for listening and stay in touch.